0: charles lee and you're listening to the grok science show that's right it's a weekly look at the world of science technology and effects on our daily lives coming up on today's program Howard bloom will join us to discuss night of the assassins so stay tuned for all of this plus the grokatron 5000 and our world famous question a week coming right up here on the grok's science show To the Grox's Science Show. Well the world would look very different had FDR, Churchill and Stalin not been the leaders during World War II. Well, this almost didn't happen due to a plot hatched by the Nazis. Joining us today to discuss this very fascinating story is Mr. Howard Bloom. Mr. Bloom is the author of the New York Times bestseller and Edgar Award winner American Lightning, as well as Wanted, The Gold of Exodus, Gingland, The Floor of Heaven, and others. He has been reported reporter from New York Times and nominated for, as a Pulitzer Prize finalist for investigative reporting. He has penned the new book, Night of the Assassins, the untold story of Hitler's plot to kill FDR, Churchill, and Stalin. Mr. Bloom. thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. My pleasure. Certainly a fascinating book night of the assassins that you've written here. how did you become interested in the story?
1: Well, what I do as, a, as an author is I try to look into bits of history that have been overlooked and to see if I can connect the dots and complete these episodes that are just known as basically rumors. I've done that in some of my previous books. And I try to do this here. Where I started was a press conference that FDR gave in the Oval Office when he had just returned from the Tehran conference. He gave this conference, this press meeting on December 7th, 1943, and he told the assembled reporters, well, we had a pretty rough time in Tehran. The Soviets pointed out to us a security problem, and I had to move, he said, from the American legation to the Russian embassy for safety. There were Nazi assassins on the loose. And if they had gotten all three of us, he said, quote, it would have been a pretty good haul. So that had always intrigued me. And then generations later, in 2003, the Russians released a series of classified documents based on what had happened during that, that conference in Tehran about the Nazi plot. And I used that as my starting point to go back into American, German, British archives and connect all the dots to build a story of a fascinating plot that could have changed the course of the world.
0: It's incredible that this story really hasn't gotten the attention that it deserves, given the potential outcomes, which, as you mentioned, would have completely changed the course of history.
1: Yes, I mean, we're living in a time now in the year 2020 when we're seeing how things can change just like that. And we're seeing how important leadership can be in a crisis as we look to navigate our, our way through these complicated and unsettling times. We look to our leaders uh, to help show us the way. And the three Allied leaders, FDR, Churchill, and Stalin, were showing the way to their people how to get through the war. And Hitler realized this. He realized that the war was lost on, on the battlefield uh, after His troops were defeated, Stalingrad, after the invasion of North Africa, after the Americans were coming into the war full strength and planes were coming off the American assembly lines. He realized he had to find another way. And his great insight was that he could focus on the three world leaders. And history gave him a series of opportunities that allowed him to take advantage of this.
0: It's sort of odd. Why did they choose to go to Tehran, of all places, to have a meeting?
1: It's an interesting question. At first, FDR wanted to meet in Alaska. And, and Stalin said he didn't want to go that far uh, from, the so- from the Soviet Union. He said he was fighting a war. He just couldn't leave the Soviet Union. Many people said he was afraid to fly. And that was the real reason. Churchill came up with, why don't we meet in the desert, so in the Middle East, uh, closer to the Soviet Union. But Stalin came back with the idea of let's go to Tehran. And it was arguably the worst possible place he could have chosen. Why? Because since 1940, the Nazis had been running a spy network in Iran. They had sent agents into the city of Tehran. They'd also sent commando teams, parachute teams, into, into Iran to try to sabotage operations. And so they had this network already in place when when the Allies decide to meet there. It was the the Nazi leader who was in charge of this, the head of uh, the SS Section 6, uh, General Walter Schellenberg, uh, who was the head of their cloak and dagger operations, said he couldn't believe their luck. And adding to this, uh, the Nazi commando missions were headed by one man, uh, a SS man by the name of Otto Scorsensi. Well, he was the man they had picked uh, to lead this operation in, against Tehran, and so it was all coming together for them. They could not believe their luck, that this, they thought they could actually succeed, and they became very close to actually having this impossible mission become a successful one.
0: It sounds like a lot of the things were falling in the Nazis' favor. Nowadays, if you're scheduling a big meeting of three world leaders during wartime, you would think this kind of thing would be vetted out pretty thoroughly before you decide on location.
1: Yes. You know, the man in charge of security, really, for FDR was a guy named Mike Riley. He got the job, head of the Secret Service details just a couple of days after Pearl Harbor. And he was 31 years old <laughs> in charge of to be put in charge of FDR's security. And he was facing a unique situation. This was the first war where the enemy could fly bombers over the White House, where paratroops could drop in over the White House. And the president he had to protect was paralyzed. He was literally a sitting target. And Mike Riley, who cared a great deal about FDR, he called him the boss with affection and respect, realized he would have to put his body in front of FDR. So when he finds out about the Tehran meeting, he first he had to go to a, an atlas and th- find out where Tehran was. He had no idea where it was. And But he gets there. He's, he's there 10 days before the meeting to sort of go around the city, see what's up, take the temperature, as they say in the Secret Service. And first he goes to the American legation where FDR is going to stay. And he sees a high wall, and he's, that gives him some sort of comfort. But then he goes to the British and Russian legations, their embassies, which share a large park, surrounded also by a high wall. But there's four miles between the American and the other two embassies. And Mike Riley Riley realizes that FDR is going to have to travel each day through the twisting streets of Tehran. And that filled him with great fear. And there was something else, too. Uh, that we can identify with in these times. There was an invisible enemy, too, in Tehran. typhoid was raging through the city. Uh, At the side of each of the main thoroughfares, there were sort of gutter-like canals. And these gutter-like canals were filled with water for drinking, and people also used them to dump uh, refuge and human waste. And typhoid just raged out of hands. Mike Riley finally got some comfort when he learned that the U- U.S. embassy, the Russian embassy, and this British embassy had water canals built by American engineers that, came, that brought fresh water into uh, the embassies. And this made him, made him feel a bit more secure for FDR. But it turned out that the Nazis also knew about these water tunnels, and that was their access into uh, the embassies. They had planned to ambush the three world leaders on November 30th, 1943, which was the night that they would gather in the British embassy to celebrate Churchill's 69th birthday. And you can see the picture in my book of the three world leaders, FDR, Churchill, and Stalin, sitting shoulder to shoulder, the birthday cake in front of them, uh, and they're singing happy birthday. While at that same moment, six Nazi commandos were trying to get to the water tunnels and sneak their way into the embassy grounds and burst through the doors of the dining room to assassinate them.
0: One can only imagine what that scene would have been like. How was this discovered? How was it prevented?
1: Well, it was prevented in a couple of ways. A couple of things fell fell into place. The Russians had a double agent in the Nazi hierarchy. He finds out that the first group of 38 paratroopers are going to be coming into the country, these specially trained commandos, who have been training for the past three months at a special SS commando school. As they come down, the Russians are waiting. Most of them are, are killed before they hit the ground. So that main force is eliminated. But six of the commandos come in on another site and because they're blown off course. And they are at large in the, at large in the city of Tehran, a city of a million people, while FDR, Churchill, and Stalin are meeting over the course of the four days of the Tehran Conference. And it's a sort of cat and mouse game as Mike Riley, the head of the uh, Secret Service detail, tries to go house to house as best he can through the bazaars of Tehran, trying to track them down. Finally, a $20,000 reward is given uh, for information leading to the arrest of these assassins. And that results in a turncoat handing them in. They escape to a house belonging to an Iranian uh, police lieutenant, they hold up there, and as Mike Riley and the Russians surround the building, they blow themselves up uh, just at the moment as Churchill and the others are singing happy birthday.
0: I mean, incredible. It it sounds like, as you mentioned, they had everything going for them and were not for sort of this persistence and ability to put the pressure on them. Uh, It could have gone their way.
1: It really could have. It's fascinating how close they came to being successful and how the world could have changed just like that. These assassins had special weapons. They brought with them a special sort of bomb. that was very well coordinated. They flew off from a secret German air base in the Crimea that brought their big planes overhead so they could parachute in. It was one success for the Germans after another until things suddenly began to fall apart. I mean, it was uncertain for a while if the Germans could find out where the meeting was taking place. It was a, a top secret where the Allies were going to have this meeting. But the Germans, as luck would have it, had a spy. They had the valet of the British ambassador in Ankara, Turkey, Uh, stole documents from them. He was a spy codenamed Cicero because what he produced, according to the Germans, spoke so eloquently. That's why they gave him the codename of this Roman orator, Cicero. And he provided the information that allowed the Germans to find out when and where the conference was taking place. And then when they found out that it was taking place in Tehran, they couldn't believe it. They already had an operation set up for sending Paratroop commandos into uh, the city and the surrounding area, and also a network of safe houses set up to protect them.
0: Was the meeting worth the risk? What was so important that they had to talk about together?
1: Well, we're just about June 6th celebrates the anniversary, the 76th anniversary of D-Day, and that's what was decided at the Tehran Tur- conference. I mean, SDR, the Americans wanted to make a direct attack through France on their way to Germany. They believed the shortest distance was a straight line. Stalin wanted to get any sort of the invasion of Europe as quickly as possible. But Churchill wanted to, to go up through the, as he called it, the soft underbelly of Europe, through Italy and, and through southern France and work their way up to Germany. He wanted to maintain the British control of the Mediterranean Sea, and there was a great deal of debate and a bit of animosity between the three leaders there. And so, you know, the fact that we were able to have D-Day, which led to the successful end of the war, uh, that all came out of the Tehran Conference. So It was an extremely important event, and this was the first time that the three leaders, FDR, Churchill, and Stalin, had ever been together
0: such a remarkable event in history and remarkable, in fact, that it hasn't been noted in past accounts. I mean, FDR mentioned a little bit about it afterwards, but why is it certainly sort of kept secret all these years?
1: Well, as you had pointed out, it's very embarrassing. It was one mistake by the Americans and the Allies after another. It was the Russians who helped finally catch the assassins who first caught the first group and who told the Americans about it, who eventually released the news. You know, you know, a lot of secrets of the war, like Ultra, kept secrets for generations. Failures like the uh, Kennedy assassination—we wonder if we ever know the real facts. And it, it wasn't just FDR who alluded to it. You can read the memoirs of Churchill makes reference to the Nazis uh, at loose in the city. Uh, his bodyguard writes about it. FDR's bodyguard writes about it. There were a book that came out after the war that had interviews. Uh, with some of the assassins. So there has been reference to it before. It was when I went back into the archives and looked at them in the light of the recently declassified Russian documents that I could tie all the pieces together in a coherent whole and also make a, what I hope is a suspenseful and entertaining story
0: certainly is that. When people go take a look at this book, which I hope they will, what would you like them to to draw out of it? There's the story, there's the history of all sorts of elements really in this book that are great and tie together a very fascinating piece of history.
1: Well, when I wrote Night of the Assassins last year, it was in a... Seems Last year seems like a, a lifetime ago. We live in such a different world. I set out to tell a forgotten bit of history and to tell it in a way that someone who was looking for a good read wanted to be entertained, read a real bit of history and yet feel excitement and suspense as they read would be drawn into this this tale of this impossible mission uh, that almost succeeded with nothing less than the future of the world at stake. But, and now as we read it, I think we can understand perhaps more than ever the importance of what hung in the balance with this mission. As as I said earlier, we live in a time today when our leaders are so important. We look to our leaders to get us through the crises that we're living through today, a pandemic, uh, riots in the streets. We're looking for a way to show us that life will someday go on as it once was in America, that our values will still exist. that paychecks will still be coming in that families will be able to go out into the streets, kids will be able to go off to college, and there won't be curfews in our city. And we can see how important leadership is. And then we think about back then in wartime when we also, life was so uncertain that people lived with a constant sense of anxiety and what it would have been like if, just like that, FDR, Churchill, and Stalin, had been assassinated, it would have been devastating.
0: Well, fascinating book. Certainly hope people take a look at this. We were just talking with Mr. Howard Bloom, author of the new book, Night of the Assassins, the untold story of Hitler's plot to kill FDR, Churchill, and Stalin. Mr. Bloom, thank you so much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show.
1: Pleasure speaking with you.